This is the official Sasta podcast brought to you by SAS legend Jason Lemkin, founder at Sasta, who you can find on Twitter at JasonLK, and me, Harry Stebbings of the 20 Minute VC, who you can find on Snapchat at HStebbings with two Bs. Now, joining us today, I'm delighted to welcome Johnny Chin. Now, Johnny is the founder and CEO at Bannerman, the company that provides on demand security staff and bouncers, and some of their clients include the likes of Spotify, Y Combinator, We. Optimizely, and many more incredible companies. And what's fascinating about Bannerman is it used to be a B2C product and made the transition to B2B. And in the interview, we unravel how this shift affected his customer acquisition channels, the product itself, Johnny's sales processes, and much more. We also touch on the importance of brand for B2B products and how startups can establish their brand in the highly competitive environment of today. If you'd like more content from Sasta, then do not forget to head over to Sasta. Saster.com, that's S-A-A-S-T-R.com for all the resources. But now it's time for me to pass over the mic to the main man. It's Johnny Chin, founder and CEO at Bannerman. Good. That's perfect. Okay, I think we're warmed up. Johnny, it's such a pleasure to have you on the official Saster podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Really excited to be here. Thanks a lot. Right, Johnny, I want to start today by learning about you and how you came to found Bannerman. What was the aha moment? And if you could give us a kind of brief synopsis on what Bannerman is too, that'd be awesome. Absolutely. Uh, Let's start with what Bannerman is. Um, Bannerman is a platform that helps you protect your location, um, whether that's an office, a building, a warehouse, or an apartment complex. Um, Our mission is everyone deserves to be safe, and we're building technology to make that happen. And so today what we offer uh, is the ability for you to schedule and manage security guards. Um, But in the very near future, we're going to have video camera integration, um, visitor registration integration, as well as access control integration. So effectively, um, you go to our website or our app and you're able to have your entire uh, office or a suite of offices um, protected by Bannerman. Absolutely. And and so what was the aha moment for you then as a young chap? What made you realize that security was crucial and you were the one providing it through tech? Antoine, my co-founder and I have lived around the world. And that's been something that drew us together as friends at first. Um, with that said, we've lived in places that were not the most safe. And so for us, uh, we noticed safety and security more so than your average person. Um, and so for us, you know, early on, we started chatting about, you know, how, how did you feel when you were in this particular city and, and walking through the streets and, oh, yeah, wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, if, if I could feel safer. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at the beginning, we, re- we really didn't know what exactly it would be, but we, we really believed that um, technology uh, could, could improve something that we all face, right? Towards the bottom of the Maslow's hierarchy of needs is safety, right? You know, the first idea was being able to take out your phone push a button and have a security guard come to you. And it sounded ridiculous at the time. Um, but, but we said, you know what, we really have nothing to lose. Let's just, let's just hack something together and see what happens. And was that an independent contractor basis for the security guards? How did that work? Yeah, absolutely. At the beginning, it was literally just a landing page and a, and a simple booking mechanism, you know, similar to how you might book a, a hotel. It was definitely a face for radio and not for TV. Um, it's like a, a bad joke that I like to say. <laughs> That's what um, I always say, too. That's why I sound yeah. the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> it was very much just um, simple, and then it grew more sophisticated as, as we got to, to where we are today. And, and what a lot of people don't know, I'm sure, now, is that Bannerman actually was a B2C product. However, uh, now, obviously, very much a B2B. So walk me through that process of how you made that transition and why you made the switch. 
Oh, yeah. And that's been one hell of a ride. And, and it was certainly not a very popular decision um, internally. You know, for instance, our COO, Matt Bosco, was very much opposed to switching over. And he had good reason. You know, our mission is everyone deserves to be safe, right? Um, but, but it came down to uh, having product focus or, or just in general having focus, right? As a startup, you have very limited resources, a very limited team. And so you need to focus, um, and so one of the best things we did was switch from B to C to B to B. Um, we, we did have some B to B, uh, customers, you know, they were using us on a, a full-time basis. So every single day, um, which was very interesting. And so being able to focus just on them, our highest paying customer segment enabled us to, uh, devote all of our resources to building basically what they wanted, right? So they were asking for many more, how would you say, features uh, on the actual dashboard. So now a facilities manager can can log on, um, whether it's on their phone or on their laptop, and be able to manage security across all the different locations. And so we have companies that are using us right now, um, and it enables them to save hours in the day because before they'd have to play phone tag, they would have to hop on on, you know, on, on the phone and, and try to put out fires, say, where's my guard? Or, you know, is my guard even going to show up? And now actually, you can see the guard on site today through our platform. And, and what told you then that the product market fit hadn't been reached with B2C and that you needed to apply that focus? What metrics were there that, that made you make the transition? Yeah, I think it came down to cost for acquisition. So we got pretty scientific with it. Um, we realized that uh, the cost to acquire a customer was fairly similar whether it was a company that had locations across the country versus um, you know a, a, just one person that wanted to use it for a sweet 16 or a birthday party so we decided you know if the cost per acquisition is similar let's let's spend those resources towards full-time reoccurring opportunities right it, because the the actual lifetime value was considerably higher for, if we're looking at full-time reoccurring um, locations. Mm-hmm. I'm really intrigued then. What are your customer acquisition channels now with B2B clients? Yeah, it, you know, it's really interesting. We get a lot of word of mouth. You know, we haven't really touched upon this, but the, the industry as a whole, so to, to get security guards, is very much stuck in the 80s. You know, it typically takes you two months to get security coverage, whereas with us, you get it same day. So that's very compelling to many different organizations. Um, they can count on us to book that same day, right, to get coverage. Uh, whereas otherwise, they're they're calling you know frantically to all these traditional providers and not hearing back. So you know, I think for us, it's it's being able to have that flexibility that gives us an edge uh, compared with the traditional incumbents. And, and we spoke about the transition there, kind of in in mindset from B to C to B to B. But specifically on product now, how did the transition affect the product and how you designed and, and kind of built it from the ground up? Yeah, I, I think there was a fundamental shift from. I need security between the hours of 9 to 12 to I rely on Bannerman to protect this office. That was a really interesting shift because now what's that open, what it's opened up is the ability for us to layer on top um, video integration. And so that, that's something that's really interesting that I would love to talk about um, where we're, a- we're able to make a location smarter. And here's how. Um, so when the camera detects a suspicious motion, it will send the video loop right to the guard's mobile device on site. And so one guard is able to effectively see or manage, you know, all the different entry points. And so one guard can actually cover a larger space. And it, I think the most important thing from a security standpoint is that it's proactive and not reactive. You know, we hear horror stories all the time 
of people, you know, that will check their video feed days later and, and they see that, you know, someone came in and stole a lot of things and it's, you know, that's very unfortunate. Um, but for us, we're able to react in real time. And, and how did you go about the early stage product design phase? What were your kind of early customer testing phases like? I think that's one of our, our secret weapons, or I think maybe something that we're very good at, which is um, listening. You know, we've been very blessed to work with these customers um, that really believe in, in our long-term mission. And so they're able to be very blunt and, and honest with us, you know. And so, you know, we'll, we'll literally spend a lot of time meeting our customers face-to-face and, and just, uh, you know, being quiet and sitting behind their shoulder and watching how they interact with the platform and taking notes and listening to what, you know, you know, asking them, I think a trick that I, that works well for me. And I would definitely suggest for other entrepreneurs is saying, you know, if you had a magic wand and you were to wave it, what, what would happen? Like, what would you do? How would you feel, you know, and, and get them talking and get those, and get those answers. And so what we do is um, we, we take those answers and then we discuss internally. We, we need to prioritize certain asks. And oftentimes there are asks that just don't make a lot of sense with what we're doing. But, you know, it's definitely the first step, I think, is listening. And, and you, said, you said about before, I've heard you say about Wizard of Oz moments with the product in the early days. So talk to me about that and, and what you mean by Wizard of Oz moments and, and how it's oh, applied. I'd love to chat about that. I think that's very funny. A lot of uh, entrepreneurs, um, and I, I think some of the most successful companies today were, were masters at Wizard of Ozing. Uh, and so for us, what, it, what Wizard of Ozing means um, to people who are not familiar with the term, when a user pushes a button on, on your platform or on your app or you know, wh- however, inter- whatever interface you have, you're actually doing things manually on the back end and it looks like magic. Uh, and, and you do that typically very early on when you have limited resources, and in our case, when it was just Antoine and I, right? In the early days, um, very, very, very early on, as I mentioned before, in the simple days, it was just Antoine and I, and so I wanted to learn, um, and, but we also had to do things manually, you know, because it, it didn't make sense to, to devote a lot of resources to build something that not many people were going to use in, in, the, in the end anyway, right? I would recommend Wizard of Ozing to specifically marketplace companies, and, and a lot of other companies have done this to the state. And, and do you think it's ever a problem doing this when it comes to, and, and at what time do you think you should then actually build out the tech product behind it? Oh, yeah. I mean, great question. You know, we're, we're dealing with security, so it's, it's of, of extreme importance, especially today, for us to have the most reliability. Technology has made what used to be an art and turned it into a science. You can't mess around when it comes to security. It's one thing if, you're, if your food is late and you're hangry, right? Um, it's another thing if your security guard is late. And so we've used technology to fix that. So, you know, I think early on, it's cute, right? Very, very early on. But at a certain point, when people are relying on you, especially for security, you have to have all that figured out. So I would definitely say it, when it wouldn't work would be something that's mission critical, right? And that also forces you as, as an entrepreneur prioritize like, oh, okay, if this slips, this could be very bad for for my customer and for Bannerman, right? So, you know, I think early on, it's good to get the most mission critical things figured out. Is there also like a numerical scale of when you can actually say, this is too much now for us to do on the back end, we need to get some tech built out when it's simply too much for you guys to do as co-founders or when you reach, you know, uh, $2,000 MRR and you realize that you could afford to do it? What was there a numerical figure for you that made you realize I think that's a brilliant question, and I think that's that differs very much from company to company. And I think the the term that's floated around in Silicon Valley would be technical debt, right, or duct taping, for that matter, right, where you're you're literally hacking together different 
um, features or systems, and you're worried at some point it could just all come collapsing down, right? Um, <laughs> Which it never and, does, never does. <laughs> yeah, so I think the early days, it's like you make it work by all by any any means possible uh, or necessary, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I think it differs from organization. I think the way we were able to solve for that was, and this may sound very simple or basic, but attaching a dollar amount, and obviously that dollar amount wouldn't be perfect, but but it enables the product team and the engineering team to to work with the with you know the sales team and and the ops team to figure out like how can we speak a similar language or come up with one metric um, to help prioritize these things because everyone's going to have their own opinion right every every team has their own uh, you know their own goals and metrics that they need to hit I, I think attaching a dollar amount is is the right thing like for instance what we try to do now is for meetings attach a dollar amount right because time is money so if if you have if you have certain team members in on one meeting and it, it's an hour, that's, you know, it's an hour of every one of those person's time, add that up by what would be considered, you know, if it's a salesperson, they could be making X number of calls that could lead to, you know, Y percent in terms of potential new customers, right? So I think that's the way we tried to solve it, but I, I don't know if that's the perfect way, but I think that worked for us. And brilliant that you discussed sales there, because I want I want to talk about the early days of you selling to your customers as a founder yourself and how that was and then how it altered when you had to hire people and how the first hiring of salespeople was for you. Yeah, that's been a wonderful, um, but also very tough challenge. And, you know, I, I think for me, it, it's, it's, it's a blessing to be able to have um, so many publications, Sastra included, uh, where, you know, entrepreneurs who may not have a very strong background in sales can can learn about how to put in place the first sales process, how to hire and how to um, manage sales, uh, sales reps, right? I think that's something for us that we've spent a lot of time, I personally have spent a lot of time. In the early days, I was literally going door to door. You know, I think for me, it, it was a blessing because um, I was able to listen, as I mentioned before, you know, a big part of the product development was listening. Um, and, and so for me to do it, I was able to get the, the info without it being sort of diluted. It's been a it's, it's certainly been, been uh, a challenge. And I know many other organizations have this too, building up a sales team, but it's something that we're very proud of. I'd love to hear about how you went about hiring your first salesperson and actually whether you hired one, two, three, uh, to create the competitive edge that many say is necessary. Yeah, um, we just hired one. And in the early days, we actually hired um, people who did not have direct sales experience. Um, And if I were to do it over again, I probably would uh, hire people who have at least one to two years of sales experience. A lot of time was spent on mentoring, which I think is fantastic. Um, But that mentoring time could have been used towards other aspects of, how would you say, developing as a professional, right? If you have some type of training um, in, in a sales environment, it's it's very useful um, for an early stage startup to, to be able to to bring you on where you already know you know how how to pick up the phone, how to qualify, how to know it's it's really important to keep following up. Um, and so I, I would definitely recommend for for entrepreneurs out there that are that are hiring their first few sales reps, filter I think for for ones that have at least one to two years experience. I think that that's definitely my my first. And, and a very important um, feedback for, for anyone doing that. And, and we've recently uh, been focusing a lot on kind of account-based marketing and its integration with account-based sales development. And just in terms of you personally, when it comes to the acquisition, are you very honed and specific in terms of your customer acquisition or do you go for the fishing with the net approach? 
you know, we've gotten much more scientific as, as we've gone on. And I think that's, and there's also people who give uh, different advice on that. You know, some people say you need to have the process real dialed in from the beginning. And others say, you know, at the beginning, it's supposed to be chaotic, let chaos reign. And then you'll start adding more and more science to it, if you will, later on, right? Um, so I think in our case, the, it did help to add a lot of, of science to be able to know at each step of the funnel, what's the conversion rate, you know, where, where are the inefficiencies, even if you have a very skeletal team. Um, so my advice also would be to be overly analytical with the, with the numbers. Definitely, even if it's, if it's small numbers, if it's not thousands upon thousands upon thousands of leads, um, even if it's like, let's say it's a hundred to know what your conversion rates are at each step of the funnel. And then with regards to the sales process itself, how did you go about developing and optimizing it? You said about reading, you know, resources like Sasta, but how did you actually go about implementing it? Oh boy. Yeah. So I, I, I mean, that was reading, 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 reading so much research, speaking with anyone and anyone I could, I could talk to who has some type of experience. And we're very blessed that people were, were willing to share their knowledge. So I, you know, I want to thank everyone they're probably, you know, doing this with other people. So that's, that's fantastic as well. So back, back to the, to the topic on hand. So I, we spent a lot of time researching, but then we were actually implementing, I think what it, what it was about was, um, taking the time every single week and, and make sure it's the same time every single week to, to, to check up on, on the progress. You know, I think a lot of times entrepreneurs or people that work at startups, um, just go so heads down that they don't take time to actually see if they're being productive or just active. Right. Um, and so for us, we really spent that time to, to meet and see, you know, what were the results? What were the inputs? What were the outputs? Um, so, so putting in the, the, the process itself, I think was just, um, a lot of measuring and then a lot of tweaks to it. And I'm intrigued then at what stage did you reach profitability? Cause I heard you reach profitability, which is a, a fantastic feat, but, but B, um, rather rare in the startup world. So at what stage did you reach profitability and what do you think this allows you to do now with the slightly more economic and financial freedom? Oh boy, it's 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 a very incredible milestone, one that our whole team is excited about, and everyone that's believed in us from the beginning is very excited about as well. You know, with that said, I think what's uh, and obviously in the press you hear about a lot of other entrepreneurs um, or now I guess later stage CEOs talking about oh we'll reach profitability by X. For us, it was it was obviously something very important, but it, I think it stems from our nature of who we are. You know, I, for us, we really obsess with solving real world problems with lines of code. You know, that's what we've always been about. You know, security, there are online aspects and there are offline aspects. Um, and with that said, we've kept the team very lean. You know, we, we don't try to solve problems with people or money. We try to solve problems with engineering. Um, and so that really is who we are. As douchey as it may sound, for us, I think profitability was inevitable just because of who we are as, as a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, I'm not, I'm not obviously promising that that will last forever because, you know, there, there's a certain trade-off and many startup people know this, right? You can, you can optimize for growth or, or rather you can pour a lot of money on the fire, right? To, to speed up, to accelerate growth, um, or you can choose to be much more capital efficient. So, I mean, obviously there's like a dial, right? And there's many blog posts on this, like what's the right ratio, what's the right number, but I think for us at this point, it's, it's, it's been fantastic. <laughs> it, it definitely takes a lot of weight off your shoulders to be in your own control of your own destiny. And I'd love to dive into a 60-second SASTA now, so the quickfire round. How does that sound? All right, let's do it. So what's been the most challenging element of, of Bannerman? Focus. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you're taking quickfire to the extreme. I love it. Uh, and then starting again, what would you do differently? I would hire people that I thought I could never get earlier. 
Mm-hmm. Now it's really exciting. I'm, I'm being able to attract people from companies that I've admired pretty much um, my whole life. And now they're, they're coming to work for us. It's, it's so amazing. It's so, it's so exciting. Um, I probably would have not have been as, as scared earlier on to say, hey, you know, come join, come join the dream. And then your fave SaaS reading material. What's your must reads in SaaS? Oh, it's the book that recently came out from Impossible to Inevitable. I think that book is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, that book is, I would definitely, I recommend it to all of my peers and I would definitely recommend it to everyone out there that wants to, one, build a very successful company, but two, you know, has to, to build up an orga- a sales organization. I definitely would recommend that to everyone. What's been the highlight of the journey? Oh boy, that's, there's been so many. I, I think every single day you get one. Um, there, there are a lot of surprises that come at you, but there are a lot of amazing things. I think the highlight for me is the people that are willing to help without asking for anything in return. I am so blessed. I think about that every single day. There are brilliant people that um, don't expect anything in return and just want to help, just want to pay it forward. And I think that's amazing. I think that is one of the best things about uh, the startup world and, and the tech world. And then who's your biggest mentor and advisor? Oh, and that's the thing. I have so many and it wasn't always the case, right? And I think that that's the power of today's age where when you start a company, it, it doesn't cost you much, but also there are many free resources out there. You know, there are many blog posts written by thought leaders that, that you can read and, and sort of develop in the early days. Um, I think right now, some people that really come to mind would be Gary Tan, um, Chris Howard. Uh, those two gentlemen are not as spoken about um, outside of the valley. They're very much known, you know, here. But I, I think um, there, there are many others. But I think those guys, obviously, you know, they're they're very well known. So the, those two are ones that I think are low below the radar. But people in Silicon Valley know they they are awesome. And then the final quick fire question: competitive landscape for on-demand security. What's it like? Uh, interestingly, not many techies uh, are looking into this space. I, I think it's it's a it's a really hidden secret. You know, forty billion dollars is spent on security guards every single year in the U.S. alone, um, and so we're still competing with the traditional providers. You know, and as I mentioned before, they're stuck in the '80s, and so it's really interesting, right? A lot of them are massive. You know, the, I'm talking companies with, with hundreds of thousands of employees, and so it's a really fun challenge to go up against them to literally go head to head with them on deals right now. And, and to win deals. And then finishing the quick fire there, I want to discuss now, final topic, don't worry, you can have a breather, there's no no timer on you here. And I want to discuss <laughs> branding. And I've seen I've seen Bannermen, security guards leave WeWork um, in San Francisco. So I, I've seen the, the cr- cracking uniform. But what have you done to create a brand then with Bannerman within the B2B world? And what have you noticed has worked? Yeah, I think that's really interesting because if you look at the traditional security industry, there isn't much differentiation, right? Um, it's been done one way for so long, um, and we've come at it at a very different angle. And if you look at our branding, it is something that a lot of people have have told me about. They said, "Listen, you've built one of the best brands that we've seen at this stage." Sort of try to write that off, or you know, want to stay humble. But I, I think it is interesting because I think it it, it touches upon a few things. It, it touches upon a trend um, that I I think is worth discussing, which is I can take a beautiful photo of my hamburger with Instagram, right? I can put a, a hipster filter on it, um, and yet when I'm at work, I'm stuck with you know spreadsheets, right? And why is that? And I think um, what we're going to start seeing more of is uh, software that is beautiful, that works, that is intuitive for the enterprise, you know, for when you're at work, you know, and that's what we've done. When we, I talk, as I mentioned before, I like to spend time with the people that are using the Bannerman dashboard. And they're saying, when I look at this, I feel that my office is safe, you know, and I, I think um, that's been one thing that we, we didn't know, we stumbled upon, right? And I, I think we got lucky 
Um, but I believe it's part of this bigger trend. To touch upon, I guess, the other aspects of brand, people really love us and our guards. And I think it also stems from when you're in a time of need, you know, where whether it's I need security for this last minute event, my employees don't feel safe because someone was casing our building. And and for Bannerman to come save the day that same day is is really compelling. Like a lot of people will remember that for life. And it's been interesting that we've been able to build this this cult following. And it's been really it's been uh, it's been very humbling, but really exciting as well. Is there anything you've learned that hasn't worked with with branding that you've really learned to to kind of iterate on? Yeah, I would definitely touch upon the whole B to C to B to B transition. Um, I think they are very different with regards to branding. Um, I, I think there is some type of crossover, though, and that's what we've done, right? We've taken, if you, if you go online to our website or use our app, you'll see it's almost um, a little more consumer-y compared with other enterprise um, software, right? Um, and so that's, that's done on purpose. But, but definitely earlier on, with, and more specifically with, with uh, the actual acquisition, customer acquisition, before we we had it much more B to C focused, and so that was very different from a branding perspective. From like, a, I don't even I'm, I'm trying to explain the right wording. I think just from how we had the positioning of, you know, online ads or some of the wording um, that that certainly had to change. And then I want to finish with the final question, and it's what advice would you give to founders looking to build a brand in the B two B space? It stems from what I mentioned before, and it may seem overly simplistic, but it matters a lot. It's talk to a lot of people and listen, right? It's listen to what these customers are resonating with your business, your with your different you know features, and then from there you're able to pull out the brand. Um, I, I was I was blessed to be able to attend this uh, seminar where someone who has worked with some of the best brands, you know, YouTube, Dropbox included. Um, gave some interesting advice where a lot of the taglines or a, a lot of the, the words that these companies will use for positioning actually came from the users or customers themselves, right? So you have to listen. And, and it turns out the customers have the answers. Mm-hmm. Well, Johnny, thank you so much for joining me on the show today and for keeping us all safe in our offices. Um, I'm extremely grateful. And it's been absolutely fantastic to hear the Bannerman journey. Been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Please hang up and try again. And a huge hand to Johnny for giving up his time today to appear on the show and some very exciting times ahead for Bannerman. And if you'd like to follow Johnny on Twitter, you can by following at Sam Clam Disco. And you can also find me on Snapchat at H Stebbings with two Bs. Also, if you cannot get enough of Sasta resources, then head over to Sasta.com. That's S-A-A-S-T-R.com for all the resources, past episodes and additional information. Thank you so much, as always, for your continued support. And we cannot wait to bring you Monday's episode with Russ Hurl, VP of Sales at DataHug.